I'm Melissa Bonzak, author of the June Nash Adventure series, and when I'm not writing, I'm reading. I started this show to rave about new discoveries, chat with indie and small publishing house authors, and share from my works in progress. This is Books Cubed, interviews, raves, and reads. Good adventures, everybody, and welcome to episode 16 of Books Cubed. I have a great show today, and I know I always say that, but I really do today. I do every week, I hope. So this week is a horrifying episode with Jessica Bayless, and she is talking about her book, uh, Broken Chords, and it is an award-winning book. And so you need to uh, uh, keep listening, and uh, she is going to read a chapter, and uh, I think you'll get hooked. And I'll have, uh, uh, in the show notes, I'll have links to her book, and we talk about a lot of fun stuff, including zombies and zombie dogs, so, uh, and old VHS uh, tapes. So uh, uh, stick around for that. Uh, real quick, first, I'm going to mention that people are telling me they're having a hard time leaving comments and, uh, for the podcast. For YouTube, you just scroll down to the bottom of the page and leave a comment. But for the podcast, it's all over the place. There's no set place. So I put together a website. Well, I put a page on my website uh, with all of the shows on there. So every episode now will have, or should, I'm going to work on that tonight, will have a link that you can just click the link in the show notes and um, go to the page and you'll be able to leave comments and I will see them. Uh, I was finding out there were comments on places that I didn't know the podcast was and so I was missing comments. So uh, go ahead if you want to comment and you're probably in the car or walking your dog like I am whenever I listen to podcasts if you're listening and um, <clears throat> you're probably thinking, well, I want to comment and then you get home and you completely forget, which I totally understand. But if you do remember what you wanted to say, go ahead and go down to the show notes and click on that link and it will take you to the page and I will see your comments. So with that out of the way, let's get to the show and I will see you afterward. Okay, I have got Jessica Bayless with me today and she read a book that I just, I loved it. It is called Broken Chords. I want to make sure I get that right. And it was scary and it was fun and I started reading it and I think I read it in like 36 hours. I didn't get off the couch. And uh, for me, that's usually I, I read a little and I wander a little, but this one I just did. I really like horror a lot. So uh, hold your book up real quick. You have a copy there. Okay. There's a copy of the book. You can see it. And just let me read real quick uh, Jessica's bio. So Jessica Bayless is a clinical psychologist by day and a writer by all the time. She has been a, lo a lover of ghost stories and horror since her days scanning VHS rental shelves, admittedly with her eyes half averted from the gory covers. She also loves to eat, cook, and exercise in that order, and is a firm believer that coffee makes the world a better place. She's a senior editor for Allegory Magazine, and you can look for her upcoming release, 10 After Closing, which is out now, right? That's right. It came out actually in September. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So uh, tell everybody just a little bit about what the book is about. Okay. So, um, so Broken Chords is a book about a girl named Lenny who goes to music festivals with her family throughout the year. Um, and this is because her father actually makes stringed instruments and she's a fiddle player. So the book takes place at Gypsy Cobb, which is her favorite festival out of all of them. And it's the one that all of her friends always attend. And so she's very excited about the first big bonfire of the year. And when she gets there, one of her friends shows everybody this book that she found on astral projection, which is this 
sort of like metaphysical technique where you can learn how to project your soul out of your body and it's supposed to be able to walk on the astral plane. Um, and so they all think it's silly, but they try it anyway. And Lenny actually is able to do it, but before she's able to reach the safe, heavenly astral plane, a demon spots her and pulls her into its realm. And now it's got a hold on her. So her, the book is basically about her trying to figure out what the heck is going on um, and then how to defeat the demon um, or else she could be trapped in its, um, its her, his horrific realm for, forever. And it's all full of these terrible entities of all of the demon's other victims. Yes, and <clears throat> excuse me, they were very scary. Uh, I really liked uh, the playground and I don't want to give away um, spoilers, you know, but um, there was, yeah, some very, very scary uh, parts to it. So why don't you read a little bit just to give everyone a feel for, for the book? Sure. And I love that you love the playground. That was the absolute first thing that I was, I knew when I was writing this book that I was going to write a playground, um, a haunted playground. And you see it a little bit in this chapter. So this is chapter 11. I just want to show, I love, I love the drippy font. I love the font that they used. And basically, this is a scene where Lenny and um, one of her longtime friends and the guy that she actually really likes, um, they find themselves in this demon's realm. And they're trying to figure out how to get back to their bodies, how to escape. And one of the things about astral projection is that there's an astral cord that's supposed to tether you to your physical form. So they're lost, but they've just realized that they could try to follow their astral cords back to their bodies. The only problem is it's leading through this part of the demon's realm that they really don't want to go into. So that's what's happening right now. Our twin lifelines wound as one and illuminated our path. The air under the trees was thicker than any we'd encountered yet. Like whatever wanted us to go this way didn't want us to be able to move too quickly. Now, instead of the urge to keep checking my sides and over my shoulder, I couldn't stop craning my neck to search the mangled branches over our heads. I didn't think it could get any worse than this. Then we came to a splitting. Jeb's cord led off to the right while mine drifted to the left. If they intersected again, it was somewhere way off in the dark. Shit, what do we do? His hand tightened around mine. I shrugged. It's just some trees, right? But my heart didn't agree. It skipped a beat only to restart two seconds too late, hard enough to send the coppery taste of blood into my mouth. We'll go fast and talk the whole time. It won't be long. Sure it won't. Ready? No. We stared ahead, hands still clasped. Finally, I counted. One, two, three, we said together. After a final squeeze, we let go. Darkness swallowed him up almost immediately, and I froze. Jeb, Jeb, I'm here, he called. Keep going. Crunching leaves revealed his progress. I got moving, keeping the sound of his feet in the brush always directly at my side never up ahead, never behind. We kept going, signaling back and forth until finally our cords met again, sharing one path for as far as the eye could see. Jeb sprinted from the dark and I threw my arms around him. Okay, 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 I chanted. We did it, we can do this. He held my head between his hands and rested his brow against mine. It can't be far now. I nodded, even though he was only saying that. 
Our camps might lay just beyond the next clump of darkness, or they might be an eternity away. But I went along with it because we needed to believe. Ready? A clogged gurgle filled the air, and we turned toward frenzied rustling coming from the darkness we crossed a moment ago. It's coming. Jeb's face glowed white in the light of our astral cords. What's coming? But I knew. The demonic creature oozed out from between two warty tree trunks. It half crawled, half slithered on its belly, pulled along by creaky roots which sprang out of the ground to help it along, or maybe they emanated from the creature's own body. It didn't matter. Its uncoordinated mode of locomotion served it well. It raced toward us in jerky increments with each separate part of its body advancing on its own schedule, like it was boneless. A back foot shot forward to dig into the earth two feet in front of its head, which dragged behind only to snake under an arm that jutted out at an impossible angle. Nothing should be able to move like that, but it kept coming anyway. Its bottom jaw hung slackly and scooped up spongy earth with every inch. The dirt clung to the thing's long spiked teeth and lodged in its throat, turning the cries it repeated into that choked, gurgling squeal. Run, Lenny, now. We thundered ahead, fuck hidden dangers in our path. Nothing could be worse than what crawled behind us. Then new sounds came from the air overhead, sharp, high chirps, almost clicks in their abruptness, yet punctuated by long, warbling cries that promised some new horror. I ran in a full-out sprint, but the creature somehow closed the distance, claws scrabbling and roots churning the dirt in its path, way faster than was possible. But then again, anything was possible in this place. Oh no, Jeb shouted. Everything swam around me like something sucked all the air out of my head and the ground tilted under my feet. Our lifelines split paths again in complete opposite directions. Up ahead, not 10 yards away, mine made a hard right through a, a thick stand of evergreens while Jeb's ran on for another few feet before cutting a path to our left. What do we do? I panted. Coming with you. No, you'll be trapped. We had another 20 feet before we'd need to decide, then 15 feet, then 10. Lenny, duck, Jeb threw an arm around me and pulled us to the ground as the click chirping things closed in. One had barely missed my head. More swarmed around the creature which still clawed its grisly path. What are they? I shook my head, let's go. We took off again as these smaller monsters, like gnarled deep sea fish slicing through the sludgy air, homed in on us with glazed, hard-boiled eyes. Their gulping mouths were full of impossibly long teeth, which sprouted from their jaws at odd angles. Teeth that click scraped together in a high-pitched squeal that jagged deep inside my gums like nails on a blackboard. One shot out in front of the pack and seized my astral cord between those ruthless teeth. It chomped down and electric pain jolted through my body. My heart stopped, and I skidded, paralyzed with a zapping pain. Lenny! This was it. I was going to die, right here in this place that was supposedly safe and normal, killed by something that wasn't supposed to be able to hurt me. The thing feeding on my cord chomped again, and I nearly collapsed as it consumed another piece of my soul's anger. Lenny, keep moving! The next feeder burst through the pack and attacked Jeb's lifeline. He bellowed in pain and went down on his knees while I still struggled to suck in a breath. I tried telling myself I didn't need to breathe, that I was breathing back in my tent, but it didn't turn down the burn in my chest. Before I knew what was happening, he was at my side, grasping my face in his hands. 
when he pressed his lips to my forehead, my heart kicked on, and I gasped so hard my whole form trembled. I lay my hands over his. I'd nearly forgotten what warmth felt like. Run, he said, and don't look back. He shoved me and took off along the path marked for him by the glowing strand of his own soul. And I ran, even though the feeder was still latched onto my cord. Others swooped down like gulls at low tide. I twitched and whimpered and retched every time one took another bite from my lifeline. Gurgling groans announced the presence of the crawling creature, which still tailed me. Not Jeb, just me. I burst through the trees onto the playground where the grotesque children blurred as they played, singing their taunting song. Oh, the dreadful wind and rain. We told you so. We told you so. We told you so. But I raced by them in their rotting stench. Out here, I could follow the familiar landmarks of the real world, of Gypsy Cobb. My tent waited up ahead, only a few sights away, an agonizing distance, but I made it. I launched myself through the vinyl wall, not even stopping to open the flap. Not that I had to. My body lay just as I left it, still, lifeless, pale as death. Outside, the creature's pursuit grew louder. Then with a screech that shot needle pain through my eyeballs, a feeder tore through my tent. I threw my spectral form at my body. Air raked its way into my lungs as I jerked up and blinked at the dark. The world slept still and silent, no wavering, no clanging screeches or sing-song children's rhymes. I was back. My phone cast cold light within my tent. Nearly 4 a.m. I'd been out there for over an hour. I shook my head as the grim knowledge tried to seep into my brain. I'd projected. And somehow, Jeb had too. <laughs> That's very good. I, I kept kept myself from turning to look behind me <laughs> and I'm glad my husband isn't home because he might have snuck in to creep up behind me oh no uh, so, yeah that, that is um uh if, if you're listening which you are if you're listening it's um it's very scary it's uh it's just a fun book people love to be scared and you know you you work as a psychologist so you you understand the human mind do you think that that gives you an extra an extra insight into being a horror writer? I don't know if it actually um, is limited to just horror, but I do think that it gives me a little bit of an extra insight. You know, I feel like what our psychologists were trained to understand how people in situations experience thoughts and emotions and then how all of that leads to whatever their behavior ends up being, what they do in response to that. And, um, so what are books? Books are situations with characters who are having emotions and thoughts and then doing stuff in response. So um, I feel like my training in thinking about how all of those things work together as well as motivation really helps me to um, think through my characters and my plots. I realize my phone is pinging. I'm going to turn that oh. off. Um, <laughs> when it comes to horror, in some regard, I think it, it does help. I mean, because I really, what I, I think all books, when it comes to really grabbing the reader and creating emotion, it's more about like very small things, very intimate, psychologically personal things. It's not about talking about how like, and I know I have it in this book, but it's not necessarily about, oh, my heart raced. It's more about like these small things that really generate 
that emotion. And so maybe as a psychologist, being able to think about like these really small intimate moments that might also help. Um, and I definitely think it can really help with horror because if you want to create those little small moments, I think everyday things can be the scariest actually. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and um, just the way you wrote it, you know, it really pulls the reader in. Uh, especially the play playground scenes when she first goes into the playground. She goes into the playground scenes more later on. Uh, it's very scary. It's very scary. Uh, so now, do you do you write anything? I looked at some of your books, and I, I'm terrible. Everybody knows I'm terrible with titles. I can't remember titles of the other ones, but I did see that you were in a short story anthology called Zombie Chunks. <laughs> I am. I know. It's like the best title, Zombie Chunks. And the cover is incredible. We have this fantastic artwork for that. I should have brought them with me to have. They're in the other room. Um, but yeah, so that one, and, and I love humorous horror. So that story is actually, the one I wrote for that is called um, Care of the Undead Dog. Tips for keeping you and your pet happy and safe for many years to come or as long as you can stand it. And it's basically like a combination fake like blog site talking about like keeping a zombie dog. Um, and then it's a story about a woman who's like in the early, early um, reconstruction after a zombie apocalypse. And you know, she's lost everyone and life is kind of starting to form again in a normal way. And then her dog gets bitten and it's about her attempts to keep it. And it's meant to be humorous, but it's really gruesome. And actually, it's very dark as well. Hopefully, it makes people laugh as well as like squirm. I, I really love that story. Oh, that, I love the title of the book, and I love that story idea. So um, uh, in the show notes, we'll have links to your books and that one also, and uh, also to your website so people can find the other books because you have other books out there too. How, how many have you written now? So in terms of full-length novels, I'm revising my 15th. I've got Broken Chords and the one that we mentioned, 10 After Closing, which came out in September. Those are the only two novel-length works that I have published right now. Um, but hopefully that will change sometime in the hopefully near future. Um, but my agent and I are, are partnering up around, you know, our, our game plan. So, but I, uh, so, I've, yeah. So you have 13 in your drawers? In yes. Your, on your computer? <laughs> yeah. Some will, some will probably never see the light of day, but I have several that I think are actually pretty good. Oh, that's great. 13. I have a few. I don't have 13. But, but yeah, well, you know, sometimes you have to step away from a story. And then when you come back to it, you see it in a new light or you look at it again and go, damn, that's a lot better than I thought. I better go back to that again. You know, so... um Okay, now you, you write horror. Do you write anything besides horror? I do. I love horror. I consider it like my literary candy, but I also write um, thrillers. I really like anything that's either got thrills in it or a speculative element. So sometimes something like a lighter fantasy set in the contemporary world. Um, so 10 After Closing is a contemporary young adult hostage thriller. Um, and then I've got one that's a young adult, kind of a techno thriller. Um, and uh, I've written a couple of paranormal books for adults. And the one that I'm working on right now is actually an adult contemporary thriller. So as long as it's got some kind of thrills, I love um, fast pace, high tension. That's basically as long as it's got that, I will, I will write it. 
Ah, uh, yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff I'll read too. Well, I read. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm surprised. I've surprised myself. I read a lot more variety, but if push comes to shove, I probably I'm gonna go more toward the horror and toward the thriller, people on the run kind of thing. And that the people on the run kind of thing is what I tend to write also. So when you sit down, um, I, I have an idea for a, a, a science fiction fantasy book. And as I'm sitting down, I don't read a lot of it. So I've been careful to really look at what the tropes are for that, that genre. When you sit down to write something, do you, are you, do you make sure you hit all the boxes? Uh, or do you want to mix it up a little? Do you want to make it like, um, uh, oh, I had a, I had a, in my head and I totally lost it. Like if I sit down, I totally lost what I was going to say. Uh, if I go to McDonald's, I know I'm going to get a cheap, easy burger. I know exactly what I'm going to find. I'm going to get a vanilla shake, you know, all that stuff. Like I went to breakfast this morning with my mom at a place I've never been before. And I had no idea what to expect when we walked in the door. Do you want Mm -hmm. someone to pick up your book, your thriller? And even though they read thrillers, are you going to hit everything they want you to hit? Or do you want to twist it a little bit so that it's going to be that thriller, but there's going to be something a little bit different about it? Yeah. Yeah. So and obviously within any genre, including thrillers, there are so many subgenres. but I, I totally get what you're saying. I think that more often than not, my books are a little bit different. Um, so like, for example, you can pick up almost any detective thriller and you'll know exactly what kind of feel you're going to get from that book. Um, you can pick up a lot of different kinds of romances and you can pretty much say like, you know, the kind of ride that book will take you on. I think that I kind of mash up stuff a little bit. So, you know, I like, I have a a young adult horror novel that's actually a comedic young adult horror novel. So like, I'll do that kind of thing. Um, Or I play around a little bit, maybe too much with structure. So 10 after closing is told from the middle out. So it starts at 10 minutes after closing at a cafe when armed gunmen come in. And then it goes backward in time and then it goes forward in time and then it goes backward in time and then it goes forward in time. And I've got um, a couple other books that I've written that have some interesting structural elements. So, and cause it's really, it could be very hard to try to replicate the flavor of something. Um, and some authors seem to really have that formula and they do it very well. For example, what's really popular right now is the psychological thriller with the um, unreliable narrator. And a lot of people are doing really great work with books like that. Um, But, you know, I don't know that I could copy that style. So I really just try to make sure I write the book the way that I would like to read it. As much as I love the other writer's books, I I say with, with this one idea right here, right now that I'm working on it, what would make this the coolest book for me personally? And so I think sometimes that does result in my book veering away a little bit from what you would consider a standard trope, um, or I mash up some stuff, or I play with the structure. Um, And those are things that could be appealing to readers or not at all. As a matter of fact, some of the readers of 10 After Closing, they hate the back and forward thing. I love it. I love seeing you know, these characters go all the way to the very beginning of the day and you see how something that happened in the very first moments of that day impacted everything else. So for me, I love that, but some readers hate it. Um, So it can be tricky. It's nice to be able to play to the tropes. You can't always accomplish it well. Um, It it could be helpful, but at the end of the day, you just got to write what works for you. Yeah, and I think... um... 
I, I remember hearing somewhere, you know, you write for the one reader, that one reader out there. You don't worry about everybody else. And I, I write what I like. Yeah. So, and yeah, and I, yeah. And I, um, <clears throat> I used to be in film and part of my problem was that we didn't really fit in, things that we did didn't really fit into a, a, an easy genre, you know, something easy. And um, so that's why I had a lot of issues with that. Uh, so let's, um, talked about that. Oh, okay. So I get up in the morning and I'm doing my stuff and I, and I really, sometimes I really have to psych myself into writing some days. Depends on what I'm working on. I'm, I've got two books I'm working on right now. One of them, I'm just having the best time. I don't even have to psych myself out. The other book, which everybody's waiting for, which is a sequel, I'm having a hell of a time getting through that. I'm meeting my editor in two weeks, and we're going to try to figure out what my issue is. Um, but do you, do you find that – can you psych yourself up? I mean, does, does the idea of spending the whole day exhaust you before you start? Are you, are, you, are you one of those writers that can go and just spend the day – at the coffee house, spend 10 hours and just get through the words that you need to get through? Um, I, I can say that I can. I can't do that consistently. I can't do it all the time, but I can actually, um, when I put aside the time and I work full time as a psychologist, as you mentioned, so I have to really like schedule my writing time carefully and protect it with my life. Um, and so yeah, I've had days where I can sit down all day and just work and, and I will say it definitely energizes me and that's how I know that I need to be doing it because and it's weird because you know with a different career I spent a decade and a lot of money you know establishing my psychology career and then all of a sudden I'm writing and it's sort of like why are you spending all of this time on something after you've just spent you put so much of your life into establishing a career and the only way I can answer it is that I even when I'm tired even if I've had a, a long day and I've written a huge number of words um, that day and I'm like, I'm tired, my brain's tired, I'm still excited. I'm still more excited and more energized. So I wake up in the morning sometimes before work to write. And, and even though I'll be more tired because I lost that hour of sleep, I still feel like I have a much better day. I will say though, it can still be hard to sometimes psych yourself up for some books. And so when I'm, when I'm in that mode and I'm like, all right, why do I not really, like, why am I procrastinating today? Cause like I can do that too, you know, Oh, I'll just fold this, this pile of laundry first, or why don't I make my lunch for tomorrow while I'm up? And then I'll, so sometimes I'll, I'll catch myself with that. And I usually ask myself, okay, what would make this book really exciting? Basically I go back to that same question. What would I love that's not in this book right now that I need to put in here that for me would be the most awesome thing ever. And usually if I talk to myself a little bit that way, I can come up with one or two little gems that I get really excited about. And that all always helps motivate me to come back to it. Cause I feel like that's our job as the writer is to figure out how to love everything we're writing. And I mean, the cool part is we are making it up. So we can make up whatever we want to make, to make us love it. So when I find myself, you know, going to the laundry or maybe I'll work out again instead, I, I always say, okay, no, what, what would make this book? If you were the reader, what would, and you found this thing in this book, what would be the thing that would make you love it so much? And, and that usually gets my excitement kicked back on again. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of the, <clears throat> excuse me, part of the problem is that, um, story, you know, the, the, there's not that excitement. There's not that, there's not the story there that it should be, you know? And I think that's the problem of what gets me um, stalled, mm -hmm. you know? 
And uh, but I, when I see my editor in two weeks, Lisa, if you're listening, um, she's going to kick my ass and and get me. And I think that you know I had such a nice response to the first book. I guess I'm partially worried it won't be as exciting. The first book is 40, 48 hours straight through, and it's uh, it doesn't really stop. And um, the second one has just been a little slower. And uh, that's my my worry is that my audience who like that craziness mm-hmm. won't be happy with the with yeah. the. The smaller one, and then the other book is different. So you know, I've I've got a full uh, entire first yeah. draft of that one with like the first third is done with an yeah. entire first draft. I'm like I'm so much farther on that one, but I don't want to yeah. start a new series, you know. Yeah. So. And it can be like that when when you've already had something you know out in the world in readers' hands. I know when I the first time I ever worked with an editor and had done some back and forth with her. And then I was trying to go to write something new. I kept hearing her, her comments in my head. I kept hearing the kinds of feedback she was, she was likely to give me as I was putting down this word or putting down that phrase. Um, and so, and then again, I signed with my agent and I kind of started to have the same thing. And then you, you, you get a book out in the world and readers have it. And it's so easy to let this fake other person in your head And that is something I do have to work on. You know, if I catch myself feeling like stilted and when I'm trying to write, if like I don't get into my zone where the words are just kind of coming out that place where you don't really know what the heck you've even just written, but you're, you're just going. Um, Usually that's because I've got someone else's voice in my head and I need to pause and I need to be like, who cares? Pretend nobody's going to ever see this. Let it be the worst book it's ever been. Use all of the stupid words and all of like the fillers and the filters and every cliche you can imagine, who cares? Just get it to the end. Um, and then usually I can jog myself out of that. But I do think that there's something that can change once, once you've put your work out there, that it takes, it takes, we need to develop a process for not letting that change our work or how we love our books. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, I'm sure there's fear in there too. I, I don't know why, Absolutely. because yeah, it's, um, it's crazy. Okay. So, and it is fear because the voice in the head is never, Oh, that's just so great. It's always, Oh, that's bad. That's so of course, absolutely. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. That's terrible. Nobody's ever going to want to read right. that. And then, yeah. And then you have to be careful as, as, um, as, uh, don't show your book to your family. You know, that there's like, um, family and friends are not the ones you're selling the book to, you know, there, there may not be your, 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 the, your people and they may not like what you've written. And, and I, I have, I know my husband doesn't read my work and I have a lot of friends who their spouses have never read anything that they've done, which is fine. You know, it's, it's, um, it's not, but, but if you, if you, if you let them look and then you listen to, you can get yourself caught in a trap of listening to what they're saying instead of what you want to do, you know, so yeah. you have to be careful. Okay. So I've been watching, um, what movie was I watching? I was watching something and they had, and they, they, I had seen a thing online saying, did you see all these Easter eggs that were in this, this, uh, this, uh, this movie, you know, I think it was one of the MCU Thor or something, yeah. all these little hidden, hidden nods to, uh, to the audience. And I always have to, bookmark those and then go back later and look and go, okay, I never would have caught any of those things. Uh, uh, like in the first Avenger movie uh, where uh, maybe it was one of the first ones where Captain America says, was it? Okay. Avengers. And then in the comic book, they would always say Avengers assemble. Well, I never, I never read the comic books. 
when I was a yeah, kid, yeah. it was hockey. My neighbor loved hockey. And so we'd watch hockey. I never read comic books. So in the movie, when he said Avengers and it stopped, I thought, oh, what the hell? Oh. <laughs> so it, it, it didn't, it did nothing for me. Yeah. But now in books, I, I did this with my first novel. I've got a little Easter egg in there. And if you're reading it and you may find it, uh, but do you, do you do anything like that in your books? And can you with horror? I think you can do it in any book. And it, the funny thing is, I don't, I don't actually mean to. I'll have people who come to me and read a book of mine. Um, and I'm lucky because my husband has read most of my, my stuff. Not, not every single thing, but he's read a lot of it. And he actually enjoys it. So I'm very lucky. And my mom is like the best. Like everybody needs a mom like mine. She'll read something and she'll, she'll be calling me like, oh my God, I just got to this part. Um, and I, and I've had some of my friends read like 10 after closing since that's the, the one that came out and it's my first book that's actually in bookstores. And so people are reading it and they're coming up to me saying, Oh my God, I love how you put this little thing in there. Like maybe I use the name of a street I've lived on or, um, my mom finds all sorts of things. And I think it's cause they just, they know me. So they know about my life. My cousin was commenting on a couple of things. Um, Sometimes I'll use names, like if I'm really stuck with a name and I just need to come up with any name so I can just keep going in the scene, I'll pull out the name of someone I know. So a friend of mine I work with was all excited because her surname was in the book. And I'm like, oh my God, I totally forgot I had done that. So like, I don't mean to, but it's just, you, you, can't, you can't help but bury parts of your own world in your book because, and the people who know you, they'll recognize it. They'll recognize you referenced a particular song or or a particular menu item that a character is ordering and that it's the thing that you always order and you might do it just because that's you know that's the first thing that comes to mind let me get the thing that I always order um, so I don't necessarily do it on purpose but people constantly find them um, and I think that's a byproduct of them just knowing me and then finding all these little things in there Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure uh, your fans probably, as they get to know you, they probably look for little things like that throughout your books that would go from one book to the next, like the thing with the different food or, or you know, any yeah. of those kind of things. Now, in your bio, <clears throat> you talked about, you know, the, I remember the day, you know, the days of Blockbuster. Most of you yeah. listening probably have never, don't know what a Blockbuster is, but you know, the years ago, you used to have to go to a, a brick and mortar store yeah. to get a video to stick in your VHS and it was days before DVD players even. And, um, uh, in my day, in my day, I used to use a tape recorder to record shows from TV and then listen to the audio later. Uh. So it's probably why I went into screenwriting to start because dialogue was my thing. I mean, I, I dialogue is what I would listen to and you know, you hear the music and stuff and I could, I could listen to it again later. Uh, so as you're going through the, the, through the, video store and you know you're you said you were covering your eyes not kind of scared yeah. looking at things uh for books now when you were in the in bookstores and things did you do the same thing i mean was there was there a book that you kind of leaned more toward as a kid that helped you think maybe shape shape you as a horror writer it's interesting and i don't i don't understand why i think it's just some of these things are just innate within us but i've always loved scary stuff i've always been fascinated by it and you know those images that was really unique for our time you know i was around when the first movie stores opened and they weren't even blockbuster videos yet they were little tiny stores um so i think i always sought scary stuff i remember 
I, I'm not someone who wrote a lot growing up. A lot of the people I know who are writers, they've been writing their whole lives. I've written a little tiny bit, um, like very tiny in comparison, but I do remember that I was in like the second grade or the third grade and we had to do a creative story and I wrote a haunted house story and I'm pretty sure my mom got a phone call. So there's always just been something in me that has just loved scary stuff. And I will say that even as a young adult reader, we didn't have young adult in my day the way that we do now, but we did have some good authors that I was able to find like Margaret May and Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein. This was um, Fear Street, not Goosebumps, that came later. And I always gravitated towards those. And I will say, I got my hands on Stephen King's It at a very inappropriate age, and I loved it. And, you know, so I read that book when I was like 11. Someone lent it to me. It was the friend of, of a family member. And I, I think he only told me I could borrow it because he, he didn't think I was going to actually read it because it's like this, this humongous book. Um, but yeah, I've always found myself gravitating toward that. And then once I read that, I began to look at more adult um, fiction that, that was scary in some way. But the thing is, I was a big baby about horror movies. It took years for me to actually watch them. I remember watching Poltergeist just up until it started to get really scary. Like once she disappeared into the closet, I would turn it off. So like I was a baby about horror movies, but I was fascinated. It was just like this, 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 like just, I couldn't stay away from them. But then eventually I got over that and, and watch it all. Oh yeah. I love them. I love them. My uh, daughter and her boyfriend were just visiting and I gave him my copy of a Korean horror film called the host. Have you seen it? I haven't seen that one, but I've heard of it. Oh, you have to watch it. You have to watch it's I, I love that movie. Love it. And we were going to watch it, but my daughter was home. Was she, they were supposed to go fishing and Zach and I were going to stay at home and watch horror movies. And then, um, for some reason she was still at the house and she's like, no, no, no horror covering <laughs> her eyes. Like, Silly girl. But yeah, that's definitely put that one on your list. That one is, it's, it's a little bit of humor. Which I love. I love yeah, that. It's great. But, but there's enough that when I used to live in Tucson and there's a, a movie theater in town, art house theater called the loft. Uh, I forget, it might be on Broadway or speedway. I can't remember what road it's on, but anyway, so at seven o'clock, the programmer there is amazing or was, it's 10 years since I've lived there. So every, every Friday night at seven o'clock, my son and I would go and we knew that whatever was showing in the upstairs, they had a little theater upstairs with some couches and love seats and then regular chairs behind them. So we could go early so we can get the couch and be able to sit there. And we would just like yeah. be hovering and hiding and, and clutching each other because it was always something wonderfully scary. Mm -hmm. uh, well, for the horror movies anyway. And yeah. everything, it didn't matter what was showing. We would see whatever, whatever it was, because he was just yeah. so good. And that was one of the movies. And uh, it was just great. I recommend it. If you're, I'll put a link in the show notes to it on, um, it's probably on Hulu or, or Netflix. Yeah. I'm sure it's yeah, on we'll Amazon it. if somebody wants to buy it. So, um, but uh, anyway, so, so do, what is your next project that's coming out? So there's nothing that, I don't have another book coming out right now. I, I can say though that I am friends with a, and I can actually send you some links to his, his channel too. I am friends with the clown on Twitter, who is a killer clown with a YouTube channel. And he's got the most fantastic accent and voice and he narrates original horror. And we've, I don't even know how we got to be friends, but we've been friends for basically almost since I started on Twitter, which was only, um, actually it was in 2014. So I guess it's, it's, it's a few years ago now. 
But one of my stories that I wrote um, for him is going to be coming out pretty soon. It's called Caller Number or Image Number 200, and it's basically about a haunted cell phone. So that will be coming out, and you can you can hear that for free on his channel. The book that I'm working on right now that's the adult thriller, um, as I mentioned, it's um, it's actually it's a very action suspense thriller um, that involves the dark web. And um, I'm like you, I like to write books where there's the timeline is very tight. So many of my books take place over a handful of hours, a handful of days. Um, so it's it's one of those. It's like a three day um, book with like this escalating menace that's plaguing and stalking this guy. It's part of this this internet game that's happening on the dark web. Um, an exclusive, you know, really you have to pay a lot of money to get in on it. And he doesn't realize that he's right in the middle of it as the victim. So that's what I'm writing right now. Oh, nice. When, when do you think that one will be out? Is that a full length book? It'll be, yeah, it's a full length novel. So I'm revising it um, at currently and, you know, who knows? I mean, if let's say like an editor decided today, which they couldn't because it's not ready, but let's say they decided today that they wanted that book. It could still be two years before it comes out. Um, as you know, the publishing world is a very slow machine. So I have no clue when my next novel will be coming out. Unfortunately, I have nothing on the horizon novel-wise, but I'm excited to hear some of my short stories read by the clown. And it's really weird when I say like, oh, honey, I got an email from the clown. And he really <laughs> likes that story I sent in. He's going to narrate it. It's like the clown. <laughs> so is he going to narrate the, the story on his, on his site? Yep. On his YouTube channel. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, um, put, put, give me some kind of a link that I'll put in the show notes so that people can keep track and find out when you have a, do you have a newsletter? I do. Okay. So yeah. we'll put a link to your newsletter in the show notes so that people, when they want to hear that, mm -hmm. then they can join your newsletter and then they can find out from you. And as soon as it's up, I can let you know as well. Oh, fantastic. Then I can update the show notes. So yeah. Who knows when people will be listening? So I'll email you and I'll say, Hey, guess what? The clown got in touch with me. Cause that's the only name I got. He's just the clown. I don't even know. Am I supposed to say like, dear the clown or hi clown? Like, I don't even know how to address him, but I'll be like the clown emailed. It's up. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Well, when your next book is out, let me know. I'll have you back and we can talk about it. Cause I'm sure it'll be wonderful. <laughs> And you might really enjoy 10 after closing, given that it's like a hostage story with that tight timeline. So that might be right up your alley. Oh, it might um, be. Yeah, I'll put it on my list. Yeah. I will absolutely stay in touch. Yeah. Yes, most definitely. Most definitely. Thank you so much for coming on today. And uh, we'll have all the stuff in the show notes and the links. And hold up your book one more time for people that are listening, watching on YouTube. It is called Broken Chords by Jessica Bayless. It is a lot of fun. It is very scary. And uh, if you're a musician, especially a fiddle player, you might really enjoy it because there is um, some fiddling playing in there. So uh, yeah. there it is. And what is the tagline again? They rip, they tear, they feed. Is that it? Did I read it yeah. right? They, they rip, they tear, they feed, and you never come back again. Oh, yeah. It's good. Gives me chills. It's very good. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's a short story. Uh, well, it's a short novella. It's like 100 and, 120 pages. It's 220. 220, I'm sorry. It's 220 pages. So won't take you that long to read and you'll thoroughly enjoy it and you won't want to stop. So thank you, Jessica. And um, hang on just for a second and uh, bye to everybody out there. And uh, I'll be back in just a second.
Thanks, Jessica. Don't forget to subscribe to her newsletter so you can hear the clown read her horror story. Next week, I've got romance writer Kate Squires talking about her book, On the Edge of Regret. It is very good. Don't miss next week's show. And in the meantime, go read a good book. Thank you.